most painful thing. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of What Most People Think. How are you? Are you angry? Everyone seems angry. At the moment, everyone seems angry. I'm seeing comedians arguing with uh, members of the Made in Chelsea cast. I've seen comedians and arguing with each other. There's race riots. There's race riots. Did you take a knee on, uh, on when was it, on Tuesday night to renounce your white privilege? Uh, I did, I did, but um, I got up and the white privilege was still there. So maybe just taking a knee in and of itself is, you know, isn't quite enough. Perhaps isn't quite enough. Uh, God, I, it's, do you remember that weird period at the beginning of lockdown where everyone was just kind of like, "Hey, man, let's just let's just all chill out." And now everyone has gone ape shit. And I think apparently it's all because of Dominic Cummings. None of this, none of this would have been happening if a bloke hadn't driven to a castle. Or a place that had castle in its name. But anyway, look, I, I've been angry today. And, and, and for some reason, starting the podcast, I started to feel calmer. And I, I thought maybe that is actually what I want, is to feel a bit calmer. To just discuss things in a rational way that perhaps represents a, a fairly ordinary view in the country. And it's called What Most People Think. Uh, because, you know, this is the podcast that is both stunning and brave enough to speak for 52 slash 45% of the country. But if you're, if you're left wing then welcome. And look, thank you to all listeners. I know I've been banging on about Patreons uh, recently, but I realise not everyone has got money at the moment. So if you're listening to this, thank you. It's gone up to, we're doing 10,000 downloads a week now, which doesn't put me up in the sort of super stratosphere league, but it's pretty healthy numbers. But because of Patreons, I mean, now I could get decent advertising on this, but because of the Patreons, I'm able to keep it weekly and I'm able to keep it ad free. So you don't have any of those, those adverts. You know, Joe ones, <laughs> we talk about them. They just seem to be more and more on television. We've been with you every step of the way. To the dads that are learning how to do arts and crafts. To the mums playing Xbox Live. To any feature of domestic life that we can associate with H- HSBC. HSBC, that's what we're selling. We're selling loans because you're all going to be skint soon. <laughs> everyone's going to be skint soon. I mean, like, you know, you talk about race riots and stuff, which we will get onto in the show. We can talk about race riots. We're also going to have a uh, a weird reflection on the 2015 election. I don't know why, but it's been on my mind a lot. And obviously we'll have the letters as usual. But I, I make a prediction here. Uh, I've a lot of people pointed out that I was correct in my prediction that uh, after lockdown, teachers would not want to go back to teaching. <laughs> I know it's not an especially creative prediction. I'm going to make another one is that in a very short space of time, joblessness and unemployment will seem much bigger than any of the shit we're obsessing about right now. Trust me. Trust me on that. It will be... It's the it's the biggest thing in people's lives. And we can have millions of people unemployed at the moment. We're distracting ourselves with lots of other things that are both important, but not as important as that. Um, so just going back to the patrons, welcome to uh, a new VIP patron, Grant McCowman. Grant's doing all right for himself. Oh, Grant McMalman. McMalman. I've heard you. I think I've just spelt that wrong, but I hope life is good for you, Grant. And from another one of my uh, my glorious patrons, David Domain, we get our weekly cuss count where I try and keep a track on the, the swear trends that I'm currently observing. Uh, one arse, two bastards, one bollocks, four fucks, 15 fuckings. I think that that might be a, refer- uh, a record 
And well, I don't, I don't apologize, but I think I think that's too many. I do, I do think that that is too many. Fifteen. I mean, if you average that out, it was only what it was. That was with a guest as well. Jesus Christ. God, poor. Okay, if you haven't listened to that episode, by the way, a lot of people seem to be enjoying that with Kenny, Kenny Marmarella, the cruise. If you're one of these blokes that's like, I don't do counselling, mate. I understand. I felt that way too. But Kenny, uh, episode thirty nine. Kenny talks about a way of understanding the male psyche that is a lot uh, more bespoke than, than a lot of conventional counselling. Uh, we also had two pisses: one pissed, one pissing, six shits, one wank, and one wanked. So we had the both the present. And past tense version of wanking. Uh, so let's see. I'll, I'll try and have less swear words. Uh, just before we get into the Black Lives Matter race riots discussion, uh, thank you to everyone who t- attended the Patreon-only gig last Friday. Uh, it took me all, uh, I, I, it took me by surprise how much I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it too. Uh, I know like the VIP patrons who I could see in here, that's one of the benefits that goes with that tier, is that if ever I do a new material gig online, You'll be able to be in the front row to everybody else that was watching who had access through. Uh, we managed to get all the five pound patrons in, and I think fifteen of the three pound patrons in. Uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I am working towards something that I might take to, you know, wider internet if we if we carry on not being able to gig. But at this rate, the government are just. <laughs> <laughs> they're opening everything up they've just got ah fuck it yeah yeah it's a saturday night let the vulnerable out what, on, a, on a saturday night get them out get them out get them drinking get them doing drugs whatever the government have very much gone like you know sort of spring break um but yeah it took me a while to get used to the technology and also uh, the fact that I have people have virtual backgrounds and it had to be pointed out to me that one of my uh one of my patrons was not in fact sitting in front of jabba's palace i was just like wow everyone sits in Everyone's in like really cool houses. <laughs> and it turns out that they, they weren't the houses at all. And I'm an idiot. Uh, the fuck you this week is is the lockdown itself. I, uh, like many of uh, normal people, what most people think is I want to go and have a McDonald's. I wanted a McDonald's and I went to a drive through McDonald's and um, it took a while. It took not, not massively, like 45 minutes. I got a quarter pound of, quarter pound of a cheese meal. That's my That's my thing. And I enjoyed eating it. I enjoyed eating. I think the McDonald's have stepped up their burger game since Five Guys came around and other gourmet burgers. So I think that that's improved. But uh, and I enjoy eating French fries. But there's something not right with those chips. Like that is not natural thing to eat. They're kind of like the carb equivalent of cheese strings. You, you're calling them chips, but they're, they're not right chips. Anyway, bottom line is I, I had bad guts. I had dodgy guts after that. So essentially, I'm blaming the lockdown, not McDonald's. So thank God bless Ronald McDonald and for all the graduate jobs that he creates in this country. Um, I, uh, I'm annoyed that I seem to have lost my sea legs when it comes to eating fast food. I'll, I'll get it back. I'll get it back. I just, I, on reflection, maybe I should have gone in with uh, just a conventional cheeseburger, small fries, perhaps, and then maybe work my way through. It might have been that I kind of jumped on a moving treadmill there. Uh, but yeah, if you've had any first experiences back with uh, fast food, email to what most people think UK at gmail.com. If you're listening to this for the first time, people might be going, I thought this was a political podcast, but we also talk about the things that ordinary people give a shit about. And fast food is a big part of a lot of their lives. I haven't checked in with a colonel yet. Have you had a KFC? I've had a couple of reports that they haven't really found their sea legs either. So uh <laughs> Email me in at what most people think uk at gmail.com with your fast food. This is where I went like kind of FM DJ there. With you any how's your fast food experiences been? What a dick. Anyway, let's talk about Black Lives Matter. Podcast. 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 
So just at the, the top of this, right, um, I haven't tweeted much about the whole uh, the situation in the US and then the subsequent uh, follow-up protests in the UK for a couple of reasons. One is that I've never known the, the atmosphere on Twitter or social media so angry as it is now. Like the, the risk of being straw-manned, as it were. If you don't know what straw-manning is, it's like that moment in a domestic where you say one thing and then the other side completely takes it down another direction. So to give you an example, um, I you know, you could say, you know, I just don't know why we always go to your relatives for Christmas. And then that could become like, what, you never want to go and see my relatives? You go, no, 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 I didn't say that. Why don't you, why do you hate my relatives, Jeff? So this is what happens on Twitter, do you know what I mean? And and, and it, I was going to tweet something, and it, just to show how dangerous it was, uh, was somebody had complained about the attacks on police officers being attacked in Whitehall. And then someone said the usual thing of, oh, as a straight white man, uh, you wouldn't understand. And I just thought, sort of like, well, you, everyone's got a stake in these things. I thought, you know, this is my country. And I went to <laughs> tweet, well, this is my country. And I was like, wow. You know, if I didn't say this is my country too, like how easily could that get screenshotted? I'd be off the BBC diversity panel in a fucking heartbeat. Right-wing comedian says, this is my country, brackets, get out. So, you know, the, the thing about a podcast that I do love is that you can... Um, well, you know, you'd have to willfully misconstrue my tone. If, you, if you're going to, one, I get the download. If people are going to, you've got to at least download this to listen to this. And then you've got to, then you've got to misconstrue the tone. So this is what I think, right? Is the, uh, I think it was obviously murder by those, um, by, that, by, by that cop. And, you know, the guys that stood around and watched that happen were also complicit to a degree. And I think that, I think, I hope, I hope that they get found. I hope justice is, is served, right? Uh, and you know it will come out in the trial whether or not uh, you know what what the background of those officers were and what political beliefs that they hold. But in terms of a raw physical act, I think it has to be tried uh, given the context. Uh, as what is it, third degree murder? They're doing that seems about seems about right. Uh, but but equally, it is it is odd. I do find it odd when we get so exercised here by something that happens in the US, right? I think that there is a tendency to, glad, you know, in the same way that you, the US has better television, right? <laughs> they have better box sets. It's kind of like we've always culturally looked to the US and, and when they do stuff, it just, even their, their looting looks better than our looting, um, you know, because certainly compared to the 2011 riots and 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 it is you know certainly when we've been told for a long time that that you know we're part of europe man we're part of the eu but it does seem that you know culturally what these protests prove is that we're totally in the slipstream um of the us and i found it odd because if you look at a trigger point for something to happen here um you'd think one it would be something that happened here but there was also a race audit that was carried out by theresa may right and one of this wasn't so long ago was this one or two years ago and one of the things that they found was uh, that people are less likely to make the interview stage of a job when they have an obviously foreign-sounded name, right? So, you know, if, 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 most obviously if your name is Mohammed or if your surname was obviously African uh, in, in origin, then you would be less likely to make the interview stage, right? That to me is like, that's the most bona fide example of racism. And at the time I was thinking, whoa, like this is, this is an absolute bombshell. This is going to kick off. And it, and it went by... Ah, oh, largely unnoticed. That that is like the biggest impact on the most amount of people, you know. Like, because whatever you know, relationship police officers have with uh, the black or Asian community, this is most people aren't in trouble with police most of the time. You know, people might get stopped and searched uh, unjustifiably, but most of your life is about 
trying to yeah, find a job and, and live your life and be happy. So, but, but it didn't really, it didn't really happen. And I found, I found it odd that it took, it took something to happen in the US to, to make these protests here. And then, of course, you get, you get the spectacle of white people, you know, falling over themselves. You know, these are liberal white people falling over themselves to seem on side. I don't know. I can't speak from a black experience about how that, that seems. On the one hand, you think, yeah, it's good to have an ally, but fucking, my God, man. It's just embarrassing. You're embarrassing yourself. You know, there were those clips of um, there was clips of uh, you know white people on their knees in front of black people in the US asking for forgiveness. And I don't know. I feel like there's sometimes there's that tendency to sort of on the left. So on the hard right and on the far right, uh, there is obviously racial bigotry. You know, the 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 presumption of racial superiority, which is heinous, right? And then on on the left, there's also this weird fetishization of. Black people is like kind of some sort of spiritual exoticism, you know, like, and I think that that's weird too, because ultimately the, the goal must be to just to have, ugh, sounds so old fashioned, doesn't it? Just equality, you know, to, to people be treated as people, to not be seen as kind of potential violent assaulters on the one hand, or, or kind of like spiritual zephyrs. And then there was that clip in the, uh, the US of, uh, a large group of people, white people, uh, renouncing their their white privilege. <laughs> it's just because, like, uh, I don't know, I don't understand everything about white privilege, but I, I do think that the belief that you could just sit there and renounce it is maybe in itself kind of like a form of white privilege. Well, you can I renounce my white privilege. All right, how about you renounce? What What are you going to do to renounce it? You're going to renounce some money. You know what I mean? You can renounce. Next time there's, uh, you know, next time you're uh, flying into Dubai and they do that awful thing they do there where they, they sort of usher all the white people through customs. Are you going to refuse that after a 10 hour flight? I think that's a more meaningful, a meaningful stance to take. And there was some interesting stuff out there. Obviously, you know, there was a lot of um, a lot of people giving powerful speeches. And, you know, this is one of the things about uh, social media is it does allow you know, you're obviously going to see more of the pictures of protesters who were looting and being violent. I don't doubt for one second that the vast, the overwhelming majority of people weren't doing that, right? A lot of people are trying to stop people uh, being violent. But equally, I got up this morning and there's a clip of this uh, this bigoted white guy getting in a taxi and talking about, you know, by being racist. And then, and then you get loads of people sharing, this is who we are now. And you're like, this is, not, this is fucking one guy. I'm not saying there aren't other guys like him, but, but this tendency to let social media... Just speak to whatever truth you want to hear. Is is just making everybody depressed? You know, this is who we are now. This is Britain. Like, no, this is a racist in a taxi. It's not the first racist in a taxi, and often, arguably, the racists are often driving the taxi. Oh, that's one for the black cabbies there. I just lost loads of subscribers there. You know, I'm sorry, black cabbies. I know you've become ever since you got like, uh, ever since you got like chip and pin machines. <laughs> You've become way more, way more woke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know some of you are, are great guys, but I'll be honest. Most of the the weird discussions I've had about about race were when I was sitting in the back of a, a taxi, um, and there was a clip also that came out in in um, the states of a cop. I think he was in Minneapolis. I'm not sure, but uh, he was being questioned by sort of like a a hungry group of journalists that were angry with him because during a briefing. He was uh, seen to be on his phone and he kind of got upset and he got annoyed and he threw it back and said, look, 80% of the victims of homicide 
in his uh, area were African-Americans, right? So I guess what he's kind of saying is like, look, every single day, and in the instance he was being distracted was because a young black child had been killed, right? Uh, so he was kind of putting his attention on that. And what he was sort of saying is, is the disproportionate level of attention that goes on the the undeniably, you know, despicable treatment occasionally by US cops against black people sort of overlooks the day-to-day level of, of homicides, right? And, um, and in the, you know, in the, in the UK, the police were getting a lot of stick because obviously the police now, I'm not sure how much respect <laughs> the police have uh, at this point in time. It's not just because, you know, they were arresting people for kind of having like uh, a barbecue during lockdown or, <laughs> or they keep saying, look, there's nothing we can do. The police, <laughs> the police are just like a supply teacher now. There's nothing we can do. We just, we don't have the power. You go, uh, you, it's, you do, it's, it's called the law. Um, but they were, they, they adopted a very light touch approach, you know, in the face of the protests. And, you know, and, and some protesters, there was footage of some protesters trying to bait them and, you know, trying to, you know, and attacking them. And, I guess the, there is a problem, is the, the kind of uh, emasculation of police in this country. Or maybe I should use a non-gendered word there. I don't know what the non-gendered word is. Maybe that's part of you know institutionalised sexism, Jeff. Maybe it is. I don't know. But the fact is that they have been doing way too many breakdowns in videos on TikTok. Maybe that's part of the problem. You know, Now for a young person, at least I've got some sort of memory of when the police were tasty, you know, like, or, or would you know, attack people. Right, it gives you cause for reflection. Now, young people growing up, you go, "Oh yeah, yeah, they did that thing for pride." <laughs> yeah, no, I saw them do that. I saw uh, that WPC. She was doing the um, she was doing the Don't Rush Challenge. Yeah, no, yeah, I saw that. That was great. That was really good. They actually looked quite good, made up. Also, on the other hand, I'm quite, I'm totally glad that we don't have the kind of police here that just steam in there with tear gas and. Fuck me. Did you see some of those those images? There was one that really stuck out to me was like the National Guard uh, just steaming down some road in the States. And then there was this group of kids on the porch of their house. They seemed like mainly white kids. Obviously had the face marks on. They were part of the protest. And these kind of psycho cops were come down the street going, get back in your house! Get back in your motherfucking house! Get off the porch! Get off the porch! And in fairness, look, I, I don't want a National Guard... In this country, equally, if there was one and some guys were coming down my street looking like fucking Robocop, I would get off the porch is the other thing. I would get off the porch and then eventually they fire some kind of paint thing. And then this youngster gets done. I'm like, you know, God, I don't, I don't want to ever see that. But equally, they, those, they didn't look like they were, they were willing to have a discussion about it. You do, I mean, uh, the National Guard, like uh, somewhere, a police, somewhere between the police and the army. My God. My God. And then, of course, you know, there's this excuse where the social protests happened and um, there was no social distancing, or it certainly didn't seem to be, right? And then, and then this obviously this creates uh, a very difficult, a very difficult situation for the left here because not, <laughs> not more than a week or so ago, a geezer driving to Barnard Castle was obviously the worst thing that could happen. And then, you know, you have this thing that often happens in the culture wars. If, if you wait long enough, right? If you wait long enough, both sides, Brexit, Remain, left, right, whatever, kind of Meghan or the Queen or <laughs> Greta or BP, 
there'll, there'll be a grift. There'll be a movement back to the other opinion. And the left find themselves in this difficult situation where they've made out, like they're terrified of the, the fast easing of lockdown. They're furious about a guy going to Barnard Castle and Durham. And yet they're sort of okay with the people, you know, being very close together. And also attacking frontline services, right? Who do you think is going to treat those coppers? It's going to be, oh yeah, the same people that we were clapping. So, you know, they, they it's just, it's just a clusterfuck. But, it puts them in a it puts them in a difficult position. That's the thing, the culture war. If you wait long enough, the other side will be hypocritical, right? The other side will contradict themselves. And then of course the excuse the grift then is like, well, look, these kids wouldn't have been out protesting if it hadn't been for Dominic Cummins. I, look, maybe some of them wouldn't, but are you telling me that you know, because people on one hand saying these protests are incredibly important because of the George Floyd killing, but they wouldn't have happened at all if Dominic Cummins hadn't gone to Barnard Castle. I don't know. I don't know. But that's the thing, isn't it? Of being a right winger is that your instinct is to hold people accountable for their own actions. But that is just, that's a, that's a mindset. That's an ideological position. Not everyone, not everyone feels that way. I just, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to blame Cummins for some stuff. You know, my wife said to me the other day, she said, uh, she said, why do you keep leaving bowls on the side instead of putting them in the dishwasher? I was like, Cummins, Cummins did that. I, I'm doing that. I'm doing some Cummins stuff. And look, the net effect of this, right? This is the issue for the left is I worry, I worry. Now, I, I don't know if we spoke about Trump much, but I don't like the guy. You know, I didn't want him to get elected in the first place. I don't like vanity politicians. He's, he's a similar reason why on a lower level, I've always been uneasy about Boris Johnson. But I do think that, you know, given how um, Trump handled the, has handled the coronavirus. Uh, this is a get out of jail card for him because the, the thing about most Americans, right? Your Twitter timeline, the stuff you see on television, the, the you know when you get like the news, they're always terrified. The, the biggest fear within the kind of metropolitan circles is of seeming racist. So what they sometimes do is that they they overcorrect. They don't necessarily always always hold things to scrutiny. You know, for example, the Sky News had a clip saying police clash with protesters. And then they showed a clip and it was just like police getting battered by protesters. I would I would say clash like kind of implies that there was some sort of reciprocal uh, sort of violence, but it, did, it certainly didn't seem to be. But anyway, the point is, is like what happens to middle England? And look, I think I've been a reasonable judgment, like a reasonable gauge over the years of, of how ordinary people see things. And this is how I think they will, is that people give a shit, whether it's selfish or not, about their property and about their stuff, right? So they have a look at this footage and then they get to see Trump, you know, playing the tough guy, you know, bringing the hammer down. And I think that the truth of all of this is that, that you know, people who are in the middle or slightly to the right get to kind of lob, you know, these violent protesters in, in with the left as a concept and to, to a lesser extent with the Democrats. And the net effect of all of this is that I wonder if it makes a term of Trump more likely. Look, Patreon, Patreon people, uh, if you missed out on the last Patreon new material online gig, I will be doing enough. It'll take me a while to build it up, although the rate the news is going currently, maybe it'll just take another week. But uh, I, I, with the tour stuff for the autumn, if you've got tickets, look, I've got, given the way the tour is going, I've got a hunch things could change very quickly. Uh, and, you know, not only will there be tour, I might even add more. Do you know what I mean? This could change very, very quickly. Uh, if you if you if you are not in a financial position to join the Patreon, I totally get that, and I hope your situation improves very quickly. Uh, you could just go on my YouTube channel and just give it a sub. <laughs> it always sounds terrible 
when middle-aged blokes do like do <laughs> modern social media chat like yeah give us a sub man just give us a sub and share and fire on my shit or whatever and just watch some stuff because i've monetized it now youtube and you know for every thousand views i think i get like four pence and a thumbs up from the generous ad <laughs> account i've got with youtube i'm just going to give us some shout outs to the uh five pound tier the patrons shout outs to kate irvin it just uh, Mark Colloquin and a guy who's just put his name as Neil, but I didn't want him to miss out just because he's only got a first name. I don't know if he's like fucking Pele or Maradona or whatever. No, Maradona. Did Pele have a first name? Anyway, it's just Neil. But Neil, just so you know, I'm talking about you. You're the guy who you've got your head in your hands in your photo. I don't know. Does that mean that you're like a liberal going, oh my God, or have I just offended you with that? Or you got your head in your hands because you've watched... Uh, Piers Morgan's latest rant on GMB. But anyway, thank you to all patrons and thank you to the middle tier. Okay, let's talk briefly here about like um, the 2015 election. Because they've been doing on the BBC, they've been doing a lot of uh, throwbacks. You know, like they've had classic match of the day. They've also been doing entire coverage of um, of elections gone by, and I was thinking about the twenty fifteen election. I think I think it's a lost classic, you know, because everyone looks at like you know Brexit twenty seventeen twenty nineteen. I think twenty fifteen is the the one that that gets missed a lot. I think that we often, I mean, because it was the first in the big democracy box set, wasn't it? We also we also had the the prologue, which was the Scottish indie ref in twenty fourteen, right? Then we had 2015, 16, Brexit, 17, another election, 19, another election. And who knows what next, you know? 2021, what is it? Britain, you know, London votes to leave Britain, you know? Then 2025, Shoreditch votes to leave London. I don't know. But I, I think that there was a lot in that election that's worth kind of going back on. One, one of the first things that, that often, the thing that people often remember is the, the Ed Miliband, Bacon, Sarney. And a lot of people have kind of distilled this down into, well, the, the reason that, uh, well, yeah, the toys got in because apparently Ed Miliband ate a sandwich. You go, no, I think you're missing the point about normal people, right? His photos in and of themselves do not have the power to do damage to a political brand, right? What happens is we already have a view of someone and sometimes a little thing will happen and that will confirm that view. And the, the issue with Ed Miliband at the time was that he just didn't seem prime minister and prime ministerial. A lot of people say that right through his tenure. It's always, it's always one of the biggest pointers of who will win the general election. Who has the most prime ministerial seeming person? When, it, you know, look, Boris wasn't entirely the full ticket, but it wasn't a contest between Ed Miliband and Cameron. For whatever your criticisms are about Cameron, he sort of seemed like a prime minister. He's one of those posh guys that could do that smoke and mirror shit of, you know, just kind of like tricking you into like, yeah, oh yeah, this guy can do it. Look at look how posh he is. Look how calm he seems. He seems to feel like he's entitled to this. So let's give it to him. Uh, he, uh, he ate that sandwich like he was basically going down on it in public. <laughs> uh, and you know, it, it just confirmed, just sort of confirmed like, yeah, he always seemed like a bit of a freaking numpty to me. And there was also that moment, wasn't there, on, uh, when he was getting interviewed by Paxman and he was asked, like, are you, Ed Miliband, are you tough enough to do this? And he went, hell yeah, I'm tough, toughy nuts, tough, toughy. Even, like, his brain interfered with him saying this, right? So I, I, I think that 
you know, most of the general public don't have the, the luxury of spending hours reading columns and sitting online, and they have to kind of form instinctive views politically. And I think that people came to a view there. And also, at that time, you know, um, Miliband was... He, he had, he, you know, he was sort of promoting a kind of diet austerity there that was never really going to win people over that much. It's like, yeah, you know the Tory austerity? Well, are we going to do like a kind of budget version of austerity, which sounds like more austerity? And... So he's left with talk about a cost of living crisis. It wasn't the greatest thing to go into an election on, was it? A cost of living crisis. It's hardly up there with the other great crises of our time, like the Suez crisis or the corona crisis or the financial crisis. He had a cost of living crisis, you know? Stuff was a bit more expensive. What most people think. There was, it's been brought up a lot since that, that there's this, this, this tweet, isn't there, that David uh, Cameron said, which is like, you know, this election is about a choice between stability with me or a coalition of chaos with um, Ed Miliband and the SNP, right? And obviously, because we've had a tumultuous period in politics since then, it's been put down uh, as a comic reference point, like the, or if we somehow if we'd have voted for Ed Miliband, everything would have been all right. Now, let let us, if we will, just just engage in a bit of crystal ball gazing as to what might have happened if Ed Miliband had have won that election, right? So he he would have had to go into the bed with the SNP. There, there doesn't seem like looking at how hard it is for Labour to win in England at the moment. There, there doesn't seem any way that they could do it without fairly hefty. Uh, coalition, so they would have had to got got in bed with the SNP. So this was 2015. The SNP had already started going back on their idea that the indie ref was a once in a generation opportunity. So sometime in the life of that parliament, he would have one. Yeah, you know, he would also, d- despite his austerity, his diet austerity, the SNP would have pulled him further left in terms of uh, taxation. Right, so it would have been it would have stifled the already job the jobs-led recovery that was happening, and he would have had to give them another referendum as the price of their support sometime in that parliament. Now, given that Miliband was... uh, He could well have won that election if he'd have offered a referendum on Britain's vastly changed relationship with the European Union. That's what always makes me laugh, the idea that you could have just sat this out forever. Just, you know, just, yeah, you know, we signed up to be a member of an economic community. It's now, you know, a kind of super state. But, yeah, we're just going to roll with it. At some point, you do have to go to the British public uh, is, is everyone all, all right with you know the way this is going you know the whole EU super army shit and yeah okay fine yeah it's just we just thought we'd check because you know we just haven't checked for a while right and he could have won that election if he'd have offered a vote you know one of the reasons the Tories won a majority is because they offered a vote it's, it's pretty obvious right maybe it'd been different with a uh, Labour leader who actually wanted to remain in Europe unlike Jeremy Corbyn right that's outrageous Jeremy Loved Europe. He he attended at least four meetings during the campaign, so it could have been it could have been different, right? But because if he'd have given um, the Scottish another indie ref, he would have had to give in the UK their own vote on the relationship with the EU. So it might have been. Well, what I'm saying is, I don't think you could have postponed a vote on Brexit. You know, I don't think you could have postponed it. It would have come around at some point. And then just to end on a slightly lighter note, I don't know if you remember the. Um, the, the him visiting Russell Brand. This was this is another example because this election kind of got us used to the idea of echo chambers. Well, it certainly did with me because everyone on my timeline was like, "Ed's gonna win." Ed's you know that great Prime Minister Chancellor duo of Ed Miliband and Ed Balls, and you know the fact they didn't win and went on to podcasting and Strictly doesn't really make me think that we missed out on one of the great Prime Minister Chancellor hookups of all time. But you know. 
And he, uh, everyone thought he was going to win. And then they really thought he was going to win when he visited Russell Brand. Do you remember that? Because like, Russell Brand at that point seemed to hold the balance of power. More than UKIP, arguably. And, you know, he had his truths, which is the news but true, because that's subjectively possible. So yeah, he was doing his truths and uh, Edwin ran to see him. And it was fucking weird. <laughs> it was weird. It was like, um, it was like the school bully had, had, had invited around the wimp. And said, so, all right, speak to me. What do you got? And Ed just sat there. He was like, my God, I'm in Russell Brand. And you could tell he's sort of thinking like, fucking hell, how many, how many celebrities has he banged on this couch? How many, how many women, you know, has he... <laughs> okay, let's leave that there. But he, he, it just looked weird. It just looked weird. And, and again, it's, it's this, this idea of like, if you're going to win elections, you've got to win middle England. And I just wonder, with Ed made a ban, without offering a referendum on Europe, without being able to eat a sandwich in public, without seeming prime ministerial, sitting there like the fucking school nerd uh, begging for Russell Brand's approval, might not have been the way to go about it. Okay, we've got some uh, letters this week. We've got, what have we got? We've got, hi Jeff. Uh, this is from a lefty here, and I think it's interesting to to kind of answer this as honestly as I can. What was interesting about the Dominic Cummings thing was I think we all genuinely on the left and right tried to put the culture wars behind us for the good of the country, right? Fair enough, I agree. Uh, it was like being on best behaviour for a, a visit to family over Christmas. Uh, we all tried to put our differences aside, but with the Cummings thing, all the old grievances came out, and now we're squaring up to each other to spill out into the garden in a massive limbs and fist. <laughs> It's a beautiful way to put it. Should we A, calm down and get back to the turkey, B, get everything out in the open and have it out, C, fight, or D, get in the car and go home? Well, thank you very much for the letter, Dave. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. I think that, uh, well, we've been having it out, haven't we? This is the point about the culture war. We've been having it out, and I think that the time is actually option E, which is what nobody really takes anymore, which is to go, okay, we disagree. Fair enough. I think Bill Burr once said this on his podcast. We don't say the word fair enough often enough. You know, okay, full respect to you. That's how you see it. That's how I see it. I don't think I've ever been upset by somebody else's opinion. Even when people call me a twat, I'm just like, well, you know, fair enough. I can see how you'd think I'm a twat. I am a twat. You know, certainly in the whole spectrum of human behavior, we're all, we've all got a portion of twat and I... I can't deny that sometimes the twat is the bigger part of me. So, yeah, Dave, I think that's beautifully put. But I think uh, it is to just to just let it lie. Just let it lie. So, yeah, calm down and get back to the turkey. Next letter is from Richard in Sheffield. Uh, saw Piers Morgan return after a peaceful respite for viewers this morning all fired up with his vitriolic rhetoric against the government and, as usual, drowning out any alternative view along with his lapdog, Susanna Reid. Uh, should we class him as a key worker or a key wanker? Uh, this is asked from Richard. Thank you, Richard. Uh, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been interesting. I've got to be honest, like, you know, even though I was sort of challenged by what he said, at the beginning, he was going against the government while no one else was. And you thought, well, he did seem to mean it. But I do think it sort of descended into just this daily dick-waving competition between him and the Tories and, and him, you know, duking it out with his usual sort of... He, he's just like he's just switched brand, isn't he? It's now, it's Woke Pierce, everybody. He likes immigration, you know? He, uh, he loves the NHS. He's, he's a fucking genius, the guy. It just when you think you know what Pierce is going to do next, he switches. 
he switches on you. And what I do find interesting is all the kind of lefty liberal Remainers who were just calling bullshit on him over Brexit. I wonder how, what they think now. I wonder whether they think that him saying that you can't stand in the way of democracy was actually, you know, a pretty fair point. Most people think. This is from Kathy uh, in Newmarket. <laughs> I love a simple question. Is Keir Starmer going to tell us anything he believes in? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Old Captain Forensic. He's been going at it again. This week on Question Time. The thing about the people that love Keir Starmer is they've just got to just be a bit more realistic in their appraisal of what he's doing. Because I didn't get to see Question Time as it went out, right? And then, of course, I read the usual shit about, oh, what, another annihilation. This is a, an absolute masterclass in forensic deconstruction of detail base. I think, oh, fuck. Oh. Okay, well, let's, let's see how Boris has done. Uh, and I, I've, I've given credit to Keir Starmer when he's won, in inverted commas. And, and it turns out that, as usual... It's just like a, you think like he's turned him over 5-0 and it's actually like a stodgy 1-0. And even then it was just like, he scored a goal early on and then just parked the bus. It, I, I don't know. I mean, you've got to remember with Keir Starmer, right? He's good at asking questions, but he isn't brilliant at giving answers. So he'll ask questions all day long, you know? Was lockdown, you know, he, he asked about his six mythical tests on Brexit. Well, what kind of Brexit would you do, Keir? He's not going to give you that answer, is he? And then, you know, his answer, did we go into lockdown too slow? Did we, Keir? What do you think? Oh, I'm not going to contradict scientific advice, you know. And now, you know, when it comes to these these race riots and protests, he, he finds himself in a bit of a bind because he's got to win back uh, the Labour Red Wall. But equally, the culture of the Labour Party is to just always get behind these sort of things. We saw a number of Labour councils light up their buildings purple in respect of George Floyd. Fair enough, right? But... There's going to be a lot of people in those areas that sort of think, well, what, why are the Labour Party giving a shit about, you know, this issue from overseas? What A, if they're going to address this, why, you know, talk about specific UK-based racial issues or, you know, issues generally that refer to the people whose votes that they should be winning back. So is Keir Starmer going to tell us anything he believes in? No. What he's going to do is he's going to think that, just like Labour did with Brexit, that they can kind of just avoid... You know, they can survive a coach crash, right? They see it veering off. They think, fuck it, we're not going to put our hands on the wheel. Everyone else is going to die. We're just going to survive this. But I just don't I think the public are too savvy to that. And then let's be honest, as it was put to me online recently, if he didn't have such nice hair, he wouldn't be nearly as popular. If he was bald, if he was bald, then it would be a very different brand. Most people uh, we haven't done one of these for a little while, which is a, a hypothetical fight. And this one is from, I'm oh, sorry, I didn't, take a note of who this is from but this was from uh someone a person who said who do you think would win a fight between Miriam Margolis and Anne Widdicombe great question the pit we <laughs> said the pinups are left and right wouldn't go that far mate wouldn't go that far you know maybe in that day um there's uh and, oh, I'm not gonna say oh so there's a touch of BDSM about Anne Widdicombe <laughs> Million Margulies. So Million Margulies is obviously very left-wing, very outspoken. Had her on the last leg recently. And uh, she said that she hoped Boris would die. And of course, there was the usual scandal and all this stuff. I think at the end of the day, when you book Miriam Margulies, it's like having Stanley Johnson on something. You, you're going to get... That's what they're booked for, isn't it? That's what they're there for, is to say shit like that. Um, they are both quite stout women, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I think that Anne Widdicombe, she's got crazy eyes. She could go, she could go cat lady crazy. <laughs> She could go cat lady crazy. Millie and Margulies, often people that are of that political persuasion are also not as punchy, shall we say. Um, so I'm going to go for Anne Widdicombe, first round knockout. I don't think this is lasting very long. I'm thinking Widdicombe is... 
I think when Widdicombe's coming out of a corner, fucking arms going, scratchy, hair pulling, it's really nasty. It gets done very quickly. And Widdicombe, whilst, uh, whilst you don't necessarily... She scares you at the end when she's holding up the belt, she's going into the camera, she's got the eyes and you think, you know what? She's got what it takes to be the next Ronda Rousey. Okay, that's the end of the show, man. That's the end of the show. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in, right? Recommend it. You know what I mean? Subscribe. I know a lot of you don't subscribe. Fucking subscribe to the podcast. Stop waiting for my weekly email. The link's on. But I will still keep doing that. So what am I saying? Um, I've got a few uh, Patreon shout-outs to the What Most People Pay tier. We've got Giles Collican, uh, Steve Ibrox Rocks. Wonder who he supports. And Phil Omar. Phil Omar sounds like... What a cool name that is. He sounds like the next um, the next trendy male solo vocal artist. Oh, my God, have you heard that album by Phil Omar? It's called Omar Preach. It's amazing. It's so political. Phil Omar, everybody. So uh, just read out some reviews here. If you do, give me a five-star review on uh, iTunes. I will read it out. And I there's one. There's one. But this is fine. This is fine. It's absolutely fine. It's so fine. Do you hear how fun it is? That's it's fine. Uh, this is from Nat and Jack. So this is from a couple. Uh, it doesn't what your it doesn't matter what your politics are. This guy's just being his funny observant of self. Great listening for the open minded and those who won't be pigeonholed. Yeah, I, look, I, that is a brilliant way of putting what I'm, what I'm trying to do with this podcast. There is so much. My God, there's so much venom, man. Have you noticed how much venom there is around? Does it is it really going to fall to? A right winger like me to just say, look, why? Let's let's stop fighting. Let's start talking, man. Let's let's put down the petrol bombs, and let's start do- <laughs> let's start doing the Jaeger bombs. You know, let's just have a dialogue. Because you know, hey, where is all this anger getting us? I tell you where it's getting us, brother. Nowhere fast. You know, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Grow apples, things, and fucking guns, and something, something else.